Alright, if you're someone that's training hard, eating clean, and still not seeing results, this is going to be the episode for you. So, we're going to talk about what I've been talking about on these calls for this nutrition challenge because I think, you know, obviously for the people that challenge need to hear this as well. And obviously for everyone else that's not doing the challenge or is doing the challenge and needs to hear it again, uh, we're going to talk about the things that are deeper under the hood that most people don't like to A, A address and B, just talk about. Um, when you look at movement and you look at exercise and you look at nutrition, you know, we've lived in a world... Um, or at least I've lived in a world where we were always told that the way to lose weight, the best way is just to train more, move more, and eat less. And that is true. <laughs> you need to be moving a lot and you need to train hard, you know, and you need to eat a little bit less to be in some level of a deficit to facilitate weight loss or longevity or health benefits. Um, but the question is, how little do I have to eat or how much do I have to train? Because I know a lot of people that actually overtrain and eat like rabbits and still do not see the same weight loss that they want, right? And the reason why is you could be in a sense that this is kind of like a scapegoat answer. You could be metabolically screwed up. And I'm going to explain what that means a little bit today. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit deeper into kind of some of the hormonal aspects of things that A, control hunger and satiety. And some of the stress hormones and their relationship to um, blood sugar. And, you know, obviously I'm trying to keep this more focused around the nutrition aspect of things for today and last week and probably next week a little bit too. Um, but really to talk about some of the foundational pieces to nutrition, right? And that's going to be your stress management and your sleep management. I want to talk about sleep first and then stress. Um, and then really understand that underneath all of that stuff is going to be the bottom two dimensions of like environment, community, and mindset, which we'll talk briefly on today, but I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. So just to jump into it with the sleep stuff, right? Here's one thing with sleep, which is kind of a really cool stat to hear. Number one, one bad night of rest can kick your cortisol levels upwards of 100%, which is crazy. Secondly, it's going to increase your ghrelin levels upwards of 15% and decrease your leptin levels somewhere around the same 15% mark, right? So on average, ghrelin and leptin can have a variance of like 10 to 15% based off one night, one night of bad sleep. So here's one thing to think about. Cortisol is the stress hormone. Not necessarily a bad thing to have it acutely, but chronically definitely a bad thing. Ghrelin levels and leptin levels, obviously it's you know, these are things that we have all the time. But when they're in check, they're the things that allow us to know when we're full. So the leptin is more the satiety hormone. So when leptin goes down, you're not feeling as satiated as normal. That's a bad thing for weight loss. Ghrelin levels are the things that are kind of the hunger hormones that uh, allow your body to know, obviously, when to eat and how much to eat, right? So in a sense, think about those two being kind of the hunger hormones. If you look at the data of saying an average of 10 to 15, let's just call it 15%, um, inverse relationship of those two things that means basically that you will probably be craving 15 percent more calories than you normally eat in a day right and why my dog's back are you back just because i have food here you want to say hi to the camera let's say hi to the people on the podcast okay well you're distracting me um but that means if you look at the calorie and the response to that that eating 15% more calories, and if you're someone that's eating 2,000 calories a day, that means you're eating upwards of 300 more calories a day every single time that you don't sleep. Or you're at least craving 300 more calories a day than you normally eat. 
Now, if you look at just the very simplistic math equation of fat loss, everyone knows, oh, 3,500 calories equals one pound of fat. So if I want to lose one pound of fat a week, I need to be at a 3,500 calorie deficit, right? Which basically means I need to be negative 500 a day. Now, that's a very oversimplified answer. There's a lot that goes into it, and there's a lot of context to that. But just to kind of make this a little bit more of a, a visual thing or something that you can kind of put in relationship, that means if you're eating 300 calories more a day and you're trying to be in a 500 calorie deficit, you are literally not even going to be close, right? So when we look at optimizing sleep and the importance of it, I think it's important to understand the mechanistics to why this creates such a hard battle for nutrition and sustainability of that. So if you're someone that's not paying attention to sleep and the quality of your sleep, you are literally fighting a battle that your body is working against. You are trying to create a caloric restriction when your body's craving more calories. Um, so we want things like last week I talked a lot about like a little bit more about food and how to build intuition. And, you know, a lot of the things that I talked about in this challenge is if you can eat more, you know, animal proteins and eat more produce with fruits and vegetables and you really focus 80 percent of the diet around those two things, you're you're eating foods that have high satiety signals, meaning they are more satiating eating something like you know, fish or chicken or steak or pork, and you're eating that with a bunch of vegetables or even fruits and with things that have a lot of fiber, they're gonna make you feel fuller with less calories. Now, at the end of the day, we know we need to be in a calorie restriction to see weight loss, so the goal is yes, to create a calorie restriction, but we wanna do it in a way that's actually enjoyable. So eating foods that still taste good, still you can do that with produce and protein, um, but also make it feel where I'm not like I'm not fighting a craving all the time. If you're fighting cravings all the time, that diet experience is going to be miserable and I can guarantee that you are going to fail, right? So we want to make this diet experience, I don't even like the word diet, but just to, for the sake of the conversation, we wanna make our nutrition something that's focused on nourishment, something that's focused on satiety, something that's focused on working smarter, not harder. Um, we all know the very fundamental things to you know, weight loss. It's like, yeah, we know we need to be exercising more, moving more so we can burn more calories, be more, more metabolically active. And yes, I know I need to be eating cleaner or less calories so I can facilitate that. But the question is how, right? And more importantly, why, which is kind of what I'm talking about today. So when you look at someone that's underslept, you're looking at someone that has higher cortisol levels, you're looking at someone that has higher ghrelin levels, and you're looking at someone that has lower leptin levels. These are all three things that are going to make your diet experience and your cravings more overall and your stress relationship so much harder to sustain that nutrition approach, right? Now, when you look at stress and you think about even the relationship of bad night rest and cortisol, your autonomic nervous system is basically like a light switch. It has two sides. There's a sympathetic side and there's a parasympathetic side. Sympathetic is the fight or flight response that the human body has, right? This is where your body is facilitating all its resources to fight something, right? Or run. So you're, you're going to have blood sugar get a little bit higher because your body obviously releasing cortisol is going to be followed by a spike in blood sugar. That's a good thing when you need the exercise. Like if you were to look at like your uh, blood sugar levels during exercise, It'll, unless it's really low level, if it's pretty intense, your blood sugar actually goes up, right? If it's low level zone one, zone two, and it's not that intense, your actually blood sugar will go down um, because it's not as a sympathetic tone of a relationship towards it. 
And the reason why blood sugar is high is because that's going to be the resources and the nutrients your body needs to feed the muscle, right? So having more blood sugar allows your body to kind of release a little bit more insulin and obviously feed the things that your body's going to need for nutrients to use the muscles and use those. So it's going to inhibit the digestion ability. It's going to inhibit the sex hormones. It's going to facilitate things that are going to allow you to, you know, dilate the blood vessels a little bit and uh, dilate the eyes so you can see better or be more focused on a thing. It's going to give you more energy for the muscles to use. Um, and those are great things in an acute response. But the problem is when someone's chronically stressed or chronically underslept or chronically both, you are always in a state of higher cortisol, which is going to bring higher blood sugar. Blood sugar is not something you want high for long periods of time. So when blood sugar stays high, your body releases cortisol, I mean, um, insulin. Insulin is released from the pancreas. And basically what insulin's job is to do is say, hey, we know blood sugar is a little bit higher than it should be right now. So what our job is to do is we're going to open up the cells. We're kind of the key to unlock the door to the cells. And we're going to take all that blood sugar and we're going to store it in the liver for future use. Or we're going to store it in the muscles for future use. Um, and once again, acutely, that's okay. That's a good thing. So when you're chronically elevated in cortisol and you're chronically elevated in blood sugar and you're chronically elevated in insulin because all three of those things are kind of fighting against each other or with each other you start to develop a thing called insulin resistance, right? And this is where a lot of the newer kind of mainstream focus with some people in the nutrition space that, you know, are talking about leptin resistance or insulin resistance is insulin resistance is basically like when the way that I like to view it is, you know, something I was just telling the team in our meeting was like, if I were to look at the sun briefly for five seconds, like it's going to hurt my eyes a little bit. I'll see some dots. If I were to stare at the sun forever, I'm going to go blind. You're burning out the receptors, right? And it's the same thing that happens to the cells. The cells almost get burnt out. Like they, they don't like they, the adaptation towards it. So what happens is blood sugar ends up staying high on top of insulin staying high. Insulin staying high. You have to remember this. Insulin is a anabolic hormone. But when you have insulin high, your body is in it's an anabolic state, meaning it's promoting growth. Maybe good if you're trying to build muscle. Obviously good to use in short terms and good to you know facilitate the removal of blood sugar from the bloodstream. Not a good thing if you're trying to lose weight and burn fat because you're inhibiting the process of lipolysis of fat burning because your body is trying to grow or be in this anabolic state. So someone with chronically elevated insulin and blood sugar levels is A, you're dealing with some of the blood sugar thing, and that could be lead to type 2 diabetic and things like that. And you're also leading yourself to an insulin resistance state, which could even lead to like leptin resistance. And that makes it pretty much impossible to see success in the nutrition. And this is where some of the people that the closed minded people will say, well, this is why it's genetic. It's fucking false. Like there's some genetic things that play a role in weight loss, not to discredit that. But there's also a thing called epigenetics, which basically means that we have a lot more control over the things in our gene expression than we think we do. So being aware of how we control our diet and using things like fasting protocols or using the right foods or making sure that we're managing stress or getting the right amounts of sleep and quality of those sleep are the things that can reverse the effects of what I'm talking about. So not to just like fear monger and scare people, but it's important to understand that if you do not have a good stress and sleep management protocol in place, you will pretty much have no chance of really being sustainable with that diet and also your training is not going to be as effective as it could. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? What are the things that can really optimize sleep better? Number one thing to understand is sleep is 
facilitated by hormones as well, right? Cortisol and melatonin actually have an inverse relationship from each other, meaning cortisol is highest in the morning and melatonin is highest at night. Melatonin is the hormone that says, hey, I'm sleepy, I need to go to bed. So having high melatonin at night is a good thing. Cortisol being high in the morning is a thing that goes, hey, we're the alert hormone, we're gonna wake you up, it's time to go, it's a good thing because that gets you out of bed. And if these things are in a good circadian balance and rhythm, and they're on the right clock and the right timing, you go to sleep at the same time every night, you wake up at the same time every night, you really optimize the circadian rhythm. Now, what's one of the number one ways to optimize it is light. Light is the number one thing to optimize circadian rhythm. So waking up first thing in the morning and getting 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes of direct sunlight in the eyes, I'm not saying when I say this to you, I always thought about this as Andrew, Andrew Huberman talks about this all the time. Much respect to that guy because he's way smarter than I am in this field, but when he says, look, you know, direct sunlight in the eyes, I wonder how many fucking people walked out there and like, go look at the sun. Basically what he means is like, don't wear sunglasses, you know, get exposure into the eyes. So you're basically, when that light hits the eyes and that travels to the brain, it lets the body know that like, okay, we're in the morning, we're optimizing the cortisol release. uh, And we're also really setting our clocks to the right area, right? The right tune. Now, that we're, we're equally dangerous is where a lot of people are getting blue light exposure, as most of these kind of biohackers like to call junk light. Blue light, here's another cool fact for you guys, can suppress melatonin upwards of 50%. So that spike that you get at night, imagine that being 50% less because you're on screens all night. So if you're someone that watches TV, laptop, phones, anything like that, or has a bunch of lights on throughout the house, all the way up to you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night to whatever time you guys go to bed, you're suppressing the melatonin production, right? So you're actually not going to get into A, falling asleep fast, B, getting into deeper stages of sleep, and that quality is obviously going to be hindered. And then you're going to end up just like chasing your tail for the rest of your life because you're not really optimizing that production. So number one is get as much sunlight as possible, humanly possible, safely too, for the ones that are afraid of the sun for some reason as well. The sun is also just like any other stimulus. It has an adaptation phase to it. If I come out of the heart of the winter and I go straight to Hawaii and I sit in the sun for six hours, yeah, there's a good chance I'm going to get burned. Getting burnt is not a good thing for the skin. A lot of people are scared that the sun gives skin cancer, um, and there's more and more data backing that that's not true. Skin cancer has a lot of other things inherently that can be controlled by diet and lifestyle factors and not being responsible with your sun exposure. Exposure of sun is healing. The sun is a healing part of your body. Um, or is a part of our routine, I'm sorry. So getting as much sun safely controlled obviously is going to be one of the best things you can do for your health and then managing when that sun sets minimizing the amount of blue light that you get in so wearing blue light blockers is something i'm a huge fan of um turning off maybe reading instead of watching tv but be realistic like i watch tv at night every single night with my girlfriend and that's okay but i wear blue light blockers at least five nights a week because these are things that are going to help optimize my sleep a little bit more and i'm someone that really wants to work on bettering my sleep because the last two or three years it hasn't been the best So I would say number one is always looking at light exposure and controlling that variable to help circadian rhythm. Another thing that's going to help circadian rhythm is controlling your eating window. When intermittent fasting really started becoming mainstream, everyone was skipping breakfast. Now the research backs it the other way that maybe we should focus on eating sooner than later. So what I mean by that is eat earlier in the day or eat when the sun is shining and stop eating later in the day. Because when you're eating a huge meal at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, you're less insulin sensitive, your blood sugar is going to stay a lot higher, and your body's going to spend most of its first half of sleeping just digesting. So eating and stopping around, you know, six or seven or eight o'clock, or depending on what time you're going to bed, is going to be a game changer for your sleep. And it's going to be a game changer for your circadian rhythm. 
Um, and I think that's a really, really important thing to understand when you look at optimizing your sleep schedule and the circadian rhythm of that, right? Is pay attention to eating more when the sun is shining and eating less when it's dark. Um, so that's a huge part. And then when you look at some of the other like sleep variables, you know, like having a cold room and making sure that your bedroom is only for you know, sleeping and stripping, like there should be no other things in the bed. You shouldn't be on your phone. You shouldn't be on a TV, remove all technology as much as possible. It's something that we talk about in our house. We haven't fully committed to yet, but we don't really watch TV like maybe one or two nights a month. Um, but the more you can get your body in the habit of only being there for two things, the more your body's only going to expect those two things. So build the habit subconsciously. Um, so those are really, really important things to understand for sleep. It's like your eating window, your light exposure, your management of stress. Obviously, things like alcohol and caffeine late in the night are going to take a longer time to metabolize than even food. So those need to be cut out even earlier. I know that's a hard thing. I know it's a hard thing for me. Um, but those are all protocols you need to pay attention to. Now, stress management is obviously a huge one. The problem with being stressed out is if you're someone that's a little bit more stressed or has things on their mind, I deal with this a lot personally. Um, not even necessarily things that I'm stressed out, like worrying about. Sometimes I'm just planning, like, and I'm just like, I'm like, hey, I'm like always thinking about future things and planning. As we know, living in the future is a, some level of an anxiety, right? And that anxiety is obviously going to throw your cortisol a little bit higher up, right? I'm someone that deals with high cortisol levels, um, and it affects my sleep. I wake up at sometimes at 3 a.m. like I'm like fucking ready to attack the day, and I'm like, all right, let's think about what problem I can solve today. Like, why? Why at 3 a.m. do we need to solve this? So managing that and having good management systems is going to be an absolute game changer for everything that we deal with health. Now, that being said, I'm not a therapist um, and I'm not even someone that's really nailed this perfectly myself. So I'm just in the process of teaching you guys what I've learned through my own self-exploration and things that work well for a lot of people. Number one. The most important thing that controls your autonomic nervous system is your breath. The more you can incorporate breath work with meditation, the more you can incorporate breath work with your stretching and your mobility work every day, the more you can incorporate breath work on your walks, the more you can incorporate breath work throughout the day, the more you are practicing coming back to the present moment of the breath. One thing I love about the idea of being very present, when I think about two things that really I try to work on the most and the things I two things I probably preach the most for really optimizing health and happiness is the ability to stay present. Because at the end of the day, me thinking about tomorrow or the next hour ahead of time from where I'm not currently at is me taking time away from the current moment I live in. Me taking time to really reflect on things that I've learned in the past or things that have happened in the past is me taking away time from the current moment. The only thing that matters in my life and the only thing that should matter in our life is the current moment that we are in right now not what i just said the last sentence right now now so easy to tell people this so easy to say this but having a practice towards that is breath work right because every single time that i get frustrated every single time that i get somewhere a little bit out of my head a little bit ahead of myself and i can come back and just relax and focus on five second inhale five second hold 10 second exhale box breathing, four in, four out, or four in, four hold, four out, four hold. You know, like whatever the structure is, it doesn't really matter. I like to focus on a nice double the exhale versus inhale kind of theory or controlling in, hold, out, hold, in, hold, out, hold, like some type of box breathing maneuver. It's teaching you subconsciously, which is going to require conscious effort in the beginning to come back to something that only can be present because each breath is a very present breath. You're not thinking about the next breath, you're thinking about the current breath. And the, obviously the second part to that is really staying open-minded with everything in life, right? So all the little stress management protocols are really, really important to understand. But the number one to take home is understand that breath work is the game changer. And breath work is going to be that one lever 
that we can always come back to that I can guarantee immediately is going to give you a benefit on stress, right? Or it's going to relieve some level of stress. Another thing to understand that I like to use is kind of, a, a, you know, this is where journaling or writing things down or having someone to talk about is getting it out of your head. It's just like when you think about physical clutter, when you have like a good spring, I always like, this is my analogy. If I have a good spring cleaning day at home where I get to clean the office or the garage or the car, I just feel better about myself, right? Like I feel like I'm like, wow, I didn't realize maybe that even was some maybe of level of stress, but I just feel good about myself, right? It's like you're cleaning things up. You're getting rid of the waste. You're recycling some of these things. And you need to do this mentally, right? And this is why the importance of having good relationships so you can talk to people. This could be friends or family or coworkers or a therapist or whatever. Um, this is why it's important to write things down. So having a to-do list or sticky notes Cisco, shout out to you, Mr. Fucking Sticky Note Yourself. My girlfriend likes to write things down, journaling things. I have a whiteboard, you know, having some type of outlet for you to get things out of your brain and out of paper or out just verbally are going to be an absolute game changer because it's the same way of clearing physical clutter. It's the same way for you to clear out mental clutter. So the more organized you can be, the less stress you'll deal with because you're organized. You don't need to be procrastinating because you're proactively organized. Um, that being said, something including myself I definitely deal with a lot and it's not easy but those moments when you do have them really hone in to how you feel and the more of those moments you can remind yourself how good that felt hopefully that can start to lead to some level of motivation to keep that there um so being organized is a huge huge piece right and then I think it's really important to understand that like you need to only focus on what you can control this is what I love about stoicism and this is why I read it so much I love that philosophy and that philosophical approach that like if we only focus on what we can control in life, um, you get rid of a lot of unneeded stress because there's so many times of thinking about someone else's opinion or someone else or something else outside of yourself that has absolutely nothing to do with you. Um, we saw this a lot in the pandemic. You know, and this is why I don't like to talk about things that are very sensitive subjects for people because it tends to be closed-minded and it tends to be a lot of the conversation around things that, to be honest with you, a lot of us just don't have control over. So why would I talk or waste my energy or stress levels on that? So focusing on what you can control, being present, staying open-minded, and doing the things that you need to do to really facilitate action, right? Because action for me is the thing that helps me mitigate and fight stress the best, right? When I'm not taking action, I'm procrastinating, I'm less organized, I build more stress. So doing all those things are going to be a game changer for stress management. Now, that being said, like I said, I'm not a therapist. And maybe for some of you hearing this that are dealing with a lot of it, getting a therapist is just as important as getting a trainer for some people if you deal with more mental load than you do physical problems, right? So it's like having those outlets to help someone, you know, give you structure on how you should organize those things and, you know, stay accountable to the plan. Because at the end of the day, a lot of us know what we should be doing. It's just staying accountable and motivated enough to continually do it. That's the hard part. Um, and this is where I think a lot of us struggle the most, obviously. So really looking at, you know, from a nutrition and a health standpoint, you need to remember that the middle tier of what we talk about is the ability to manage sleep and to manage stress and the relationship between each other. Someone that's super stressed out is naturally going to have bad sleep. Someone that has bad sleep is going to be more stressed out. So they are... Um, um, bi-directional in that aspect like meaning they both are going to kind of compound on each other bad sleep leads to stress bad stress or more a lot of stress leads to bad sleep and you just keep digging a hole faster than you can recover some or recover from sometimes so 
always pay attention like that's the recovery protocol that's the recovery protocol so if i don't put a lot of effort into the sleep and stress and doing the work that's actually going to improve those areas it doesn't matter how cool the diet is it doesn't matter how cool the program is from training it doesn't matter how much you move like you're not doing enough now the cool thing is diet training and movement are all things that can help you sleep and manage stress better so yes once again everything is bi-directional what we look at the relationship between each other but the last one, which is really the foundation to it all, which is something I talk about the most on this podcast and most of my platforms, is your community and your environment is the game changer for all that. If you put yourself in the right community and the right, and you surround yourself with the right people in life, good family, good friends, good coworkers, good support system, you're surrounded by a like-minded community of people, you're not spending all your time inside, you're spending more time in nature where everything is healing. It's much easier to do what I'm talking about. And then the last and final one is understanding that your mindset is what's going to dictate everything that you do in your entire life and the success of it or lack thereof, unfortunately. So your mindset is the game changer. And this is why we always work on optimizing everything when we look at the six dimensions. Move more, exercise hard enough, nourish your body, manage sleep, manage stress, put yourself in the right environment community, and really always focus on optimizing the mindset to be a stronger version of yourself mentally, and you will be better on every aspect of health, right? All right, guys. Well, that's a nice little rant for me. I think I'm right around 24 minutes. That's spot on as always. Have a great weekend. I'm excited to uh, finish up this last week of the challenge for those that are listening to on the challenge. And next week, I probably will talk a little bit more about extra strategy and sustainability of dieting and tools that you guys can use to carry on. And for those that are listening to this that feel that someone around them, a loved one, can hear more about this, share this on social media. Review the damn thing. I don't get paid to do this. I just love to do it because I love seeing people get better. Um, but it helps me grow it. And this is kind of what I want to do to impact more people. So the way I impact more people is by you sharing the message. See you later.